Hello, I'm Dr. Hannah Cartmell. Thank you for joining me for Some Thinking Time. This podcast aims to make educational and child psychology research accessible for everyone, and I hope it informs, inspires, and ignites new ways of thinking and doing. The podcast is a discussion about research and is not intended to take the place of individual professional advice. It is also not endorsed by or connected to the organisations that I work for. In this episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Matthew Fletcher about his recent doctoral research, which explored the use of AV1 robots to support young people with physical and emotional health needs. The use of technology in schools has developed rapidly in recent years, spurred on by the need for remote teaching and learning tools during the COVID-19 pandemic. During this period, research cited by the Department for Education suggests that 64% of schools introduced, increased or upgraded their technology, with 80% of schools using either new tools or a mix of new and old. School absence is also a growing reality for many young people, which has led to the UK government pledging to explore ways to improve school attendance. Within this context, there have been increasing applications of the use of robotic telepresence technology to support pupils accessing their education, both internationally and within UK local authorities. In this episode, Dr Fletcher will discuss these terms and the research he conducted in relation to the use of AV1 robots in schools, and what people can take from his findings. Now it's time to take a breath and have some thinking time. Welcome Dr Matthew Fletcher and thank you for joining me today for some thinking time. I'm really looking forward to discussing your research and thinking about how we can apply what we learn from it. Um, So you recently completed your doctoral research exploring the use of robotic telepresence technology in schools and have published three recent journal papers. So one was the use of AV1 robot avatars in school, a tool for inclusion, user perspectives of robotic telepresence technology in schools, a systematic literature review, and finally, using AV1 robots to support pupils with physical and emotional health needs. Um, the full references for all those papers will be included in the show notes, but obviously we'll be exploring that research a bit more today. So first of all, thank you, Matthew. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Hannah. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so let's start with um, just think about, you know, obviously technology. So we know that the use of technology in schools is, you know, definitely a growing area um, yeah. and growing area of interest for everyone involved with schools really um, and your research specifically explored the use of telepresence and AV1 robot avatars which those terms don't really mean very much to me. <laughs> words, aren't they? They don't, re- they don't roll off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought maybe a good place to start would be for you to explain what exactly those things mean um, and why you chose to kind of research this, this area. Yeah absolutely so when we talk about telepresence technology, what we're referring to is any form of digital software program um, devices that enables you to access somewhere remotely. Okay. So there's quite a big overlap in research around, you know, video conferencing. So, you know, you've got all the mainstream technology that we all had to use during lockdown. And I think what there's been a big shift around is this robotic telepresence where we actually use... so. What some of the papers there reference something called Avatar, but basically what it's sort of referencing is just a, a, a humanistic-like device, something that's got a little bit of a character towards it, um, but it's used quite interchangeably with the word robot, um, which again, when you look at the research, robot's quite a broad term, and mm. what I really wanted to do when I learned about this was, well, what do we mean by a robot? And mm. in short, it's any form of technology that has some sort of independent mobility and can have that audio and camera capability. Okay. So it's quite a big field because there's quite a lot out there. I think for me, when we look, because the way we completed our doctoral course, we get commissioning. So there was a a request for research in this area and we get given a list. It's a little bit like a Christmas list. We get to see which ones Mm -hmm. interest us. And I think the first thing I saw when I read that, I just thought it was just interesting to put it simply you know I think if we say the word psychology I think some people probably have an image of dusty offices and big books that people just spend all day looking over and they think that's psychology when in reality for me psychology is everywhere it's in how we interact with each other it's how we navigate our life and I think picking this project it's showing how psychology is used in everyday life I mean, you know, I, I don't want to say the dreaded C word, but when we were back in COVID, you know, there was a, as an entire nation, we all had to rely mm-hmm. on technology uh, for schools, especially to access 
their education. So I think there's been a very big cultural shift in the use of technology. And I think from a psychology perspective, that was really interesting to look into. You know, Definitely. if you walk down the street, you see every young person with a mobile phone in their hand or an iPad. And, you know, there's such an interest around technology. I think as psychologists, we need to look at how we can use that as well. Definitely. You know, take advantage of what's already out there and think about, well, how do we apply psychology to it? So it was just very interesting to, to summarise. Mm. And I think, like you say, that that interesting point made me think about, um, you know, nowadays, like you say, technology is everywhere. And for young people, it's very much in their everyday existence, isn't it? You know, they're so used to having technology everywhere. And I'm really like, interested in the idea of, you know, young people now there's digital natives you know in that yeah. idea that um, they, they've always had this technology and I think sometimes I know I can feel a bit like a digital dinosaur in terms of, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that's why I was really interested to speak to you about your research because like I say it's something that I really don't know very much about at all um, and yet it does feel like it's um, you know it feels like it's cutting edge it's, it's about mm. things that um, are very much at the fore you know leading the way in terms of how we can be applying technology in very kind of innovative ways to um, help us in terms of, you know, one of our remit, well, um, our main remit is to support young people in terms of inclusion. Yeah. So I'm really interested to think about, you know, how how this kind of new technology can be used in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously we, we, we were touching on the, you know, the research that you conducted. Um, it'd be really helpful just to kind of hear what exactly you did as part of your research, you know, so... Um, what you know what methods did you use how, how did you conduct that yeah so it's it, there's a three-stage process to the research that we completed we do a lot of preliminary research which is basically basically just to get a scope of what's out there so that was something i did very early on um we had the project commissioning so the device that's in one of the papers to talk about is the AV1 robot device. It isn't short for anything. That's just the, the name of it, which I think is a, a lot more easier to say than uh, robotic telepresence technology. So it's <laughs> yeah. already a win for me. But yeah. the AV1 device um, is one of the biggest in the UK at the moment. There's over 50 local authorities that wow. are using the devices. Uh-huh. Um and there's a lot of international research, but when I started to look around, okay, well, what research is there from the from a UK perspective? And there's very, very little, which for me I thought was quite surprising. When you've mm. got, you know, if you, I think I think we assume that if if it's popular and it's in use, you'd assume that there's a lot of research behind mm. that, and there is research, but not from a UK mm. perspective. So one of the first things that we did to sort of get that preliminary understanding was um, we the first paper that we published was um, an interview with a local authority manager and a manager within the AV1 company, which is called No Isolation. Um, the reason it's called No Isolation, which again, I really like, they they, they um, talk about warm technology. That's the phrase that they use, which is around technology that's accessible and is again, promoting the concept that we shouldn't leave anybody behind. To, so mm-hmm. nobody is feeling isolated, which I think is really, mm-hmm. really clever. Um, and I think for me, that was just a nice way to find out a bit about what the devices are used. So this interview, I got to find out a bit about how they use nationally. And then I got to have this really fantastic conversation with somebody um, who has already implemented them within their local authority down south. Um, and I think what's really interesting is just that there's a lot of positive feedback already. So can I just ask with, with that, yeah. um, with the local authority that you mentioned there, how mm. were they using the the AV1 um, robots, if that's the right expression. I, I say robots. <laughs> yeah. Av- yeah. Avatars when we want to sound Av- serious, but okay. robots. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the local authority that I talked to, so they were originally developed for physical health needs. So okay. for children and young people. So, you know, let's say a young person who, you know, has cancer, you know, if, if they're going through chemotherapy, radiation, um, they may become immunocompromised. So they can't mm-hmm. physically go into the school environment. But obviously in terms of treatment, it isn't all the time for, you know, a year. It's often in, in bouts or periods. And basically what that technology helped to do was to plug a gap where the young person felt physically able to engage with their learning but obviously from a from a health perspective they weren't allowed into the education setting so that's mm-hmm. how they were originally developed 
Um, so they were used for chronic health problems, as I said, cancer. But then what I think is really interesting is that a lot of people are now starting to adapt it for emotional health re mm. um, needs. So when I spoke to this person uh, from the local authority, they were using it largely for mental health needs, such as anxiety. So right. it's... I always think it's quite interesting that, mm. that, you know, if you have a product that's designed for one purpose, but then, you know, it's clearly effective in some way if people are starting to adapt it and use it for other areas. Um, and on their website, No Isolation, they actually say they call it a blank slate, the device. And I think part of its appeal is that it can be flexible. Mm -hmm. um, and this local authority down south, they were having quite a lot of success for using it for um, anxiety. So they were using it for pupils. So acronym acronym warning but emotionally based school non-attendance or mm -hmm. emotionally based school avoidance I know I know they use quite interchangeably depending on the borough but they were using it for that specific population to support young people who were too anxious to go to school and they were using the device as a way to reintegrate them back into the classroom. Wow that's interesting um, and you're saying because I'm sorry I kind of led you down a different route there with my questioning but um, you were saying that obviously you're meeting um, to, to kind of do some scoping yeah. um, and you were talking then about the um, perceptions of it by, you know, how, how it was being received by people and you're saying it was quite positive, positively received. It was. I mean, I, I mean, I can talk about these. So the first paper that we looked at with that interview with those two members of staff, um, we looked at how they were used. Um, and as I said, it was used for a combination of physical health and emotional health. In terms of the outcomes, what they were finding was that it was supporting attendance. Um, it was supporting um, social, emotional, mental health. But more importantly, the, the word inclusion kept getting mentioned which I know you mentioned at the beginning that mm. a lot of the views were around the fact that these devices were enabling the young people to just access the school the school community to see their friends you know if we think about the UK system obviously the academic aspect is important that's why we have school but you know playtime after school clubs there's a big element of social development children mm. learning those social behaviors and just having a nice time with their friends and those devices were giving them that opportunity to be able to do that from the safety of their home Fantastic. um the what was interesting it was they did talk a lot around obviously there are teething issues and i i would expect that with any any new product um a big one was around it mm. obviously um as as we know through covid when we learn online IT has its gremlins in the system sometimes and that was something that they were finding quite mm -hmm. regularly that they need a lot of IT support but everything that they were coming across was addressable so I think it linked okay. in again to just them trialing the devices and getting that IT support from the company um, so it, yeah it was really interesting so just from that first paper it was already showing that there is a lot of interest mm -hmm. in the devices and it was already becoming quite popular and so because Obviously, it sounds like it was well well received by young people themselves that were kind of, um, mm -hmm. you know, perhaps given this as a way of um, promoting their inclusion. What about, um, so from the kind of school perspective, was that where some of the, the comments about um, like technology and, you know, was that where they were coming from? Yeah, and th that linked into the third paper that okay. we we investigated where we captured UK views. Um, the big area that seemed to be possible barriers, one was linking to the funding because obviously it's a state-of-the-art device so it, it doesn't come it doesn't come cheap. Um, you know they have tried to make it you know as cost effective as possible but a lot of local authorities and that first paper where I talked to that uh, local authority member um, they were heavily dependent on funding to be able to buy the devices or rent the devices and that was an impact in terms of how they could use them and I think that was something that I was very keen to report because you know if people don't want to use the devices well is that because they don't work or is that mm. because they don't have the finance to continue it mm. and what was seeming to come up was that the times where people were unsure whether or not they would continue with, with the devices was when they weren't sure if they could afford it oh, and I think okay. that raised, raised quite a big issue polit politically around how do we support the funding of schools and mm -hmm. I'm sure we could have a debate about that as well about <laughs> funding but I think it highlighted that you know we can pick up something off the shelf but there's so many other factors that can impact that device mm -hmm. before we've even started and, mm -hmm. and cost was a big one okay. the other the other big area was security concerns. Okay. Um, and that was the one I related to the most. And I think back to my teaching days and I think the thought of having a live stream 
little robot sat in front of me mm. where the young person is watching at home mm. but you can't see them because obviously the, the way the device is designed is that they can see you but they you can't see them it's not two-way oh, camera okay. it's a one-way and, and that was intentional because obviously if these young people have health needs mm. it gives them a little bit of privacy but a lot of staff had concerns around is this being recorded is this mm. going to be uploaded who's watching it and mm what seemed to really help that was that discussion and alleviating those concerns because the devices uh, GDPR com compliance so general data protection regulations um, the it's fully encrypted and you cannot record on the device which I think is a very clever okay. technique mm. that um, the system that they've got in place so when you watch it at home on an iPad um, if you even attempt to take a screenshot of an image it cuts the connection completely oh, right. okay so there's no way that you can physically record um through the device and obviously when i had those discussions with the manager from the company themselves when they've worked with the 50 authorities there's quite um quite tight agreements that are made with school and the families where they have contracts to agree about who is going to be with the child for the recording if anybody you know they're going to ensure that they're not going to be recording on mm -hmm. their own devices so there's quite robust security policies in place and what this person from the council found that was that when staff were educated around that that really helped to alleviate those concerns yeah yeah I bet. um and so cause I, again just to bring you back because i feel like i probably um run away with you there because <laughs> I, I know that i think it was the second paper you mentioned um yeah. was more of like a literature review mm -hmm. um so could you just talk a little bit about um you know how you went about the literature review because well from what you were saying there wasn't actually much to start from in terms of uk research so it sounded like a lot of it was perhaps international research yeah absolutely because the so when i started the project um the department for education did fund a um an investigation into alternative provision resources so they were looking at lots of different interventions different technologies and the av1 was part of that however yeah. The project was very, very broad. Um, so when you looked at the DfE report, it didn't give you much information. It did show 65% um, of those who used the AV1 did return to school, right. which again is quite promising. And they used 90 devices, and it was over two years. But and again, that, that got sorry, just just to kind of break that down. So those were students that were using it for medical needs or for a, a mixture of, of needs. Mixture. So okay. what they did, they commissioned 90 AV1 robots in alternative provisions, so hospital schools. So it was largely used for physical health needs, but it does say that it was used for a combination of okay. mental health needs as well. And um, it was a two-year project. It had to finish early because of COVID. But again, it was showing a lot of promise. But when I obviously when I went into it with my research hat on mm -hmm. th there wasn't enough information in terms of looking at it in depth because obviously the summary report covered all of the different technologies that they'd looked at so the literature review was just my way of trying to understand okay well what what is the consensus for this type of technology mm -hmm. so when I started the literature review the one thing I wanted to do for me was you know, well, what are people saying about these devices? What mm -hmm. people who use them, what do they think of them? Um, so I went very broad because obviously this isn't the first device. Um, when I start to look, there's devices that date back to the 90s, right. which look very, very retro, where the, <laughs> there's a very big screen and a stick and wheels and they look very yeah. intimidating. <laughs> um, so I actually just broadened it and thought, okay, well, let's look at this technology as a whole. What are mm. people saying? Um, we we found 11 papers altogether. So mm. it isn't actually very much, yeah. you know, in the grand scheme of things. Um, the papers were from the USA, Norway, Denmark. So they were, you know, very international. Um, what was interesting was basically what I did in this literature review is obviously we covered a lot of databases to try and find all of these papers once we had all of the papers we, we it was we call it a systematic process so I put it through a um, bit like an x-factor boot camp we put it through and tried to see okay well can we include this can we not does this answer what we're trying to look for and the main bit for me was whatever paper talks about these devices does it include views from people who've used them and that's how we got to the 11 papers in total. So all of those papers had some form of either interview, discussion, 
survey with people who have used the devices to get to capture their views. So, uh, so it sounds like just just to kind of because I, I know we're kind of um, I'm always mindful that you know in terms of people that are listening might not be hmm. perhaps um, and um, perhaps have as much kind of experience or knowledge of kind of talking about research and things like that. So yeah, um, you're saying that you had like this specific criteria in mind that you were kind of mm-hmm. measuring the papers against. And it sounds like a key, a key criteria for you was that um, there was the, the views of the people using the technology were in cap- like um, captured within the research. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because you know, when I did the initial searches, a lot of papers were coming up where they were just talking about, look at this fantastic technology, this is how we could use it. And, you know, if, if we had to simplify it, it was more of an advert, you know, mm. could we use it? And it it doesn't tell us actually, well, you know, when a school gets given one of these devices, mm. how is the child finding it? How is the parent? How is the school? So that was very, very keen for me that we tried to keep that voice at the center of the project that we actually find out from the people who've used them you know, very simply, do they work? Yeah. What do people think about them? Um, so that was the criteria that we had. Um, in some other literature reviews that people do, people actually look at the quality of the research as well. Mm-hmm. They look at, okay, well, if that was a research project, you know, if we almost had to evaluate it and rate it, you know, would we consider that a high quality piece of research? And some literature reviews do exclude papers that they think oh, it wasn't a very good quality paper let's not include it um i didn't do that for mine so i did evaluate the quality of the papers but i was very conscious of the fact that because this is such a new field we can't risk losing papers just because they might be low quality mm-hmm. because even if they've got one sentence of information from a young person who's used the devices we need to let them you know tell their story so that was something i didn't do i actually kept them in and thought okay well even if they're good quality or, or of a poorer quality they all still have some relevance to what we mm-hmm. need to find out mm-hmm. and again what we found was again that the word inclusion kept coming up that mm-hmm. it was a way to um, allow young people to access lessons but again it was that double-sided coin in terms of you know lessons but also that social aspect um, reduction and isolation came up quite a lot as well okay. and I think it's very interesting that because obviously if you hear the Department for Education have commissioned a project you think about schools using the project I think I would personally think okay well it's just about their learning mm-hmm. and what the research was showing is it, it's 50 50 if I you know if, if not even more weighted towards mental health mm-hmm. and actually just making that child feel happy and included in their mm-hmm. environment so that was a big one that came out and a lot of people were saying that it was helping to improve their confidence as well. Great. And confidence in what way then, in just in terms of them being able to, you know, engage with lessons, engage with other, other people? Yeah, I, th- I think that the feeling that I got from reading it was that it gave them a bit of independence as well. Okay. You know, if you think about some of these young people who might be going through some really significant health needs, they have no control over that mm. yet. They get given an iPad where they can independently move this robot to turn around. They can, the device, um, some of the devices actually had full mobility where they could wheel down the corridor. You know, some of them had um, almost like a video camera so you could see the child. Because as I said, we looked at lots of different devices. Mm -hmm. I think there was something like six or seven different ones that we found dating back quite a long time. We only looked at ones within the last 10 years just to keep Mm -hmm. it recent, but as I said, the technology does date back 20 years. Um, one of the words that was used was that it was a safety net. And I think that that linked into that confidence because if a child became overwhelmed, if it was just too much for them, they can just log off. Okay. You know, if you think about in school, if someone feels overwhelmed, mm. where can they go? But yeah. if they're at home and the safety of their home, they can switch off the device and they can leave it. And yeah. I think that linked into that confidence that there was a lot of control and a lot of participants in the literature review um, allowed the devices to be used for extracurricular activities oh, as well. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Yes, yeah, so it's really quite broad how they're being used. Because mm. I, I guess, again, I, similar to what you were saying just now, I would have assumed that it would be more for almost like direct teaching, you know, and in, yeah. um, in, in like more formal situations. It's definitely, I think it's definitely branching out in terms mm. of how people are using them. Um, what was an interesting thing as well as a lot of the papers talked about the appeal 
of the device as well. And again, mm -hmm. if, you know, linking that back to the psychology aspect that, you know, we can make snap judgments as people and a big, a big element of the device and whether or not it was accepted was what did it look like? Mm -hmm. And in some of the papers, you could see some of the different robots. And there was one paper which actually went to the, they completed almost a market fair where they showed children lots of different types of robots and they got to rate them on which ones appealed to them um and that linked into um the third paper which i will talk about mm -hmm. but they rated the av1 as one of the most friendly and user-friendly designs so i think that okay. was a big element as well because again it's not an intimidating technology if it's tailored towards young people so what what does the av1 look like then it's quite it's quite small it's it's about oh it's about it's about a foot high mm -hmm. um i say it looks straight like um it looks straight out of a cartoon it's got a really <laughs> quite a, a user-friendly design so it's uh, white all over it's got a head with eyes but right. what the eyes do is they're digital so the young person on their ipad has different options to communicate how they're feeling so okay. there's uh, happy eyes there's one where they can say that they're worried or confused where it, the digital screen gives them little eyebrows that are raised um or a little sad expression but i think what's really quite clever is that it, it makes it personable yeah so yeah. when i've seen them in use um you know it actually it, it looks like it's its own little being you know its own little person yeah. and i think that feeds into why it's so appealing because again if we're thinking about a primary classroom you know, if you've got an adult at the back holding an iPad, it's quite it's quite off-putting. But if you've got quite a child-friendly little robot that just sits there and is able to communicate it because it can light up its head as well. Oh, okay. So for the AV1 um, in particular, um, if a young person has a question, you press a button and the light flashes on their head. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just so interesting, isn't it, how these things have kind of evolved in terms of, like you say, making them... Um, a part of the classroom, you know, um, and and so sorry with the literature view, were yeah. the was it used in primary and secondary settings or? Yeah, so we what yeah. we did we looked across, so we, we get we went up to eighteen years old, okay. just because obviously I knew what I was going to be doing for the other research, which was looking at the use of it for primary to secondary age mm -hmm. range. I wanted to make sure the literature review fed into that. Um, I did find papers that were looking at using the devices in university as well, right. so you can use it for mm -hmm. you know from four years old all the way up to university when you know, and if you think about psychologists, that's the reach of you know, our profession, you know, we can go quite um, right across the 0 to 25 mm -hmm. age range. Mm -hmm. And again, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't all perfect. And I think for transparency, I think we need to acknowledge that, that, mm -hmm. you know, in my literature review, a lot of the issues that came up for my first discussion with those two members of staff were coming up again about IT issues. And it, this mm -hmm. was across the board. It didn't matter what type of robot they were using in the papers. Everybody came across some sort of IT issue. Uh, privacy concerns and one phrase which I thought was quite interesting they talked a lot about red carpet syndrome okay well, tell me about so, that sounds interesting yeah it it was something again I hadn't really thought the concept of that you know if, if you have a robot on the class and if there's 30 children in the class they're all going to be looking at the robot a bit mm. like a celebrity on a red carpet getting everybody looking at them from the press and for some young people they quite liked that attention but what was coming up in the literature review that was more of the older children mm. so teenagers they were becoming quite conscious mm. and they didn't like that newfound attention okay. and that was something that did impact on the device and I think okay. you know it, it's never going to be perfect because what is mm. you know if we think about schools we always look at different interventions depending on the needs of that young person and I think for this type of technology it isn't going to work for everybody because some people might not like that attention mm. so that I think that was something I wanted to make sure was very clear that you know it isn't a one-size-fits-all we need to think about how do we use it on an individual basis yeah yeah so for some actually almost had the opposite effect of what was intended in terms of it, it singled them out and they, they you know they, they didn't like the fact that it was it was seen as almost special that they, they had this kind of um um, I keep saying robot. Sorry, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, but they didn't, you know, that that exit was getting get, gathering all this attention, and that wasn't something they felt comfortable with. Yeah, it was. The, it was that additional focus, and 
you know, I said before about the fact that the whole point of this research for me that was important was putting the young person at the centre. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we can have the best will in the world as adults, as professionals, and we might think we know what's best for the young person, but until we're in their shoes, we can't know everything. And mm-hmm. I think it's very important that we involve them within that process and, and have that conversation with them. How would they feel? Because, you know, we don't want to be using these type of devices if for one young person who's very shy, we think that's going to actually worsen their feelings mm-hmm. and actually make them you know feel more self-conscious or more anxious so I think it's just ensuring that if people are looking at these devices have that conversation mm-hmm. with the young person see what they're thinking yeah so it sounds like drawing on kind of the, what you were talking about in terms of your first paper and the literature review the, there were definitely yeah. some key themes coming out then in terms of lots of positives in terms of like I say inclusion was coming up again and again yeah. um, and interestingly you know, that kind of um, emotional well-being side of things and that social inclusion, not just the kind of academic, you know, being able to kind of keep up with lessons and that kind of thing. Um, well, like I say, rightly, you know, to, to be transparent, there's also that some of those perhaps more negative side of things or things that perhaps, you know, could be improved on. So, like I said, the technology was, was a, a key one there. Um, and you mentioned, obviously, the cost in terms of, so if people are going to invest in something like this, they want to know that they... Because I think, you know, I'm guessing in a situation where you might introduce it to a, for use, you know, for a child to use, yeah. you need to know that you've got the funding for them to continue to use it for as long as they need to use it for. You don't just want it to suddenly not be available to them. Um, and then obviously you mentioned, which I thought was really interesting, that the red carpet syndrome, as it, as it was described, which I thought, yeah, another, another thing to consider in terms of, I guess, like you said, the individual needs of each child and it's, you need to be thinking about it in that context of well, what does this child need and is, is this something that's appropriate for them or not? Yeah, um, you know, we, we think about best practice, you know, you know, you look at the education system, assess, plan, do, review in schools where you implement something, you review it, you might change something. And I think if we're looking at specialist technology, I think mm-hmm. that's part of it. That's why I think we need to look at what's working, what isn't and I'll obviously I'll talk about the main paper about you know some of the specific examples that some people might do to be able to support that but we need to be able to continually review it and I think the other thing I would I'd like to say is is just you know if there are negatives that doesn't necessarily mean it's never going to work because some of those you know negative aspects per se we could accommodate for I think it's Mm -hmm. just we need to make sure that we acknowledge them and -hmm. then we decide well is this something we can address or is this something perhaps where we think okay it's not appropriate for that young person because IT issues, you know, if that was the barrier to the young person using the device, that is something that's within our capabilities of changing. If it's a young person that's too anxious and doesn't mm. like their atten- doesn't like the attention of the device, okay, well, then that's when we think, well, is this the most appropriate form of support? Yeah, definitely. And I think, like you say, we, we keep kind of referring to, to your third paper. So let's come on to that. Um, <laughs> you, can tell, you can tell that's the one I've spent the most time on. Absolutely. So that's why we need to you know, make sure we have a good um, exploration <laughs> of that. So that was the um, using AV1 robots to support pupils with physical and emotional health needs. So, again, can you, you know, tell us about what, what you did um, and then we'll move on to think about, um, you know, obviously what, what, what you found out from that. Yeah. So this paper focused on the AV1 device, so the one that's in use across 50 local mm-hmm. authorities that the DfE had actually started to look at doing some research around. Um, if you if you Google AV1 and no isolation, they've got a very clear website, but there's mm-hmm. also news articles on the BBC, um, the TES, the teaching website, there's um, articles from that. So that's one that seems to be the most prominent in use in the UK. So when this project was commissioned, what the sort of aim of the project was, was to look at, okay, well, how are they used and are they effective and what are people saying? So it was quite broad to begin with because, you know, if we're thinking about implementation and any sort of project, we always start from that, you know, start from a very broad approach going down to a narrow specific. So I think it was very new in terms of lots of authorities using them. So let's Mm -hmm. go broad and think about lots of different things we might need to consider. So the one thing that I wanted to do again was to capture views of the young person. Um, this was actually, which is, it was, wasn't something I'd anticipated really, because, you know, in use across 50 local authorities, that's a very big yeah. um, 
number of young people that I was hoping I could be able to tap into to get their views. Um, I recruited for a good three three months where basically what I wanted to do was to follow a young person using the device and to interview their family, the young person in the school. And I could not recruit for the project. And how, so again, just just thinking in terms of, um, you know, I'm hoping there might be a a wide range of people that might be listening to this. So in terms of recruiting, how did you go about, you know, trying to to get people involved in the research? So we had a lot of emails. So we'd created an email invitation. Um, So I did make a contact within No Isolation, Mm -hmm. um, one of the key accounts managers who supports school. And because obviously when schools purchase the devices, they get continued IT support from the company themselves as part of that package. Um, So I went to them and asked them, would they be able to share um, the recruitment information to the contacts that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, I went on social media, made some lovely connections on Twitter um, with people and again asked them to share anything that they'd feel comfortable to and I even got to the point where I was having to go on to news articles and seeing what schools had used them and I was calling schools up. I felt a bit like a salesperson because <laughs> there were some days I was just calling up schools and speaking to the office manager and saying, could you put me through to the head teacher, please, just to see if they'd like to participate in the project. Trying so track people down. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what I think obviously from a, a you know, an eager researcher, I thought, mm-hmm. oh, great, lots of people will want to talk about it. And it was a bit of a surprise at first. So what what I did was I actually ended up asking people who were very helpful and said, you know, thank you for the offer, but we don't want to participate. And I asked them, you know, if, I, if you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. how come? Yeah. Um, and a lot of schools said that, you know, they were in the very, very early stages of using the device. And obviously, if we think about the nature of using the device, there's going to be a young person with either significant health needs mm. physically or emotionally. Mm. And the big concern from a lot of schools and professionals was that they didn't want to place additional stress on mm. these young people when they were already going through probably quite a difficult time, mm. which I think is a, you know, a, an extremely valid and understanding reason. Yeah. But in, it... So I was just saying, I think that really highlights a, cha- a, a real challenge of research, you know, meaningful yeah. research when you're trying to um, explore these really pertinent issues. But like I said, in with often perhaps, um, you know, vulnerable populations and things like that, this, this can be like a real world challenge, can't it, in terms of actually accessing the people you would like to gather the, the views of. And, it, and it's a hard balance because, mm. you know, I completely understood what what these schools were saying but then you also have schools that are considering buying the res- the devices and they want to look at the research mm. they want to think well what are, what are other people using so mm. it was trying to find that balance in terms of how can we create you know a f- helpful research that can so- support professionals in schools but also accommodating the fact that Right now, a lot of settings haven't used the device for long enough for them to feel confident to come and talk in an interview. Mm. Um, so it made me change the project a little bit because I, I am going to talk about the, the theory now, but I'm going to try and make it hopefully interesting. <laughs> but a big thing for me was looking at, um, there's a lot of research around social validity in schools. And basically to summarize, what it says is that if you're looking at implementing a new intervention in a school um, a new program or scheme of work the research says that that it's most effectively used in settings when teachers have confidence in that intervention mm-hmm. when they can see that it works where you know when they actually feel that they've got the confidence and the skills themselves to be able to deliver the intervention so it's a big area of research social validity and what i thought was well you know Typically, these devices are used in schools with school staff. Okay, mm. and if we know that how school staff feel has a big impact on whether or not you know re, um, programs are used effectively, mm. let's look at that population first. Let's talk with staff first, just to see how do they feel, just to get a you know a consensus around what are their thoughts around the devices, mm. and then and obviously. That, sorry, I was just saying, I guess that builds on what you were finding from. Your earlier kind of the literature mm-hmm. review and, and your other paper around there being some concerns from staff around things like privacy, so it, it, it builds on from that, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think you know, as I said before, when it's such a new field, we need to go broad 
And, you know, we could have just as easily focused on parents. Mm. We could have looked at young people. Um, and I, I tried with young people. I, I was very optimistic. I tried to cover everything. And I, mm. I learned very quickly that research is a lot more difficult to recruit. But what I thought was is that if we start with school staff, because mm. no matter how the device is being used, there's going to be some form of education setting involved and I thought, OK, well, let's look at that. Let's look at them in depth and then we can revisit possibly at a later date, young people and families as well. Mm -hmm. And we need to capture all of them. But I thought as well, because when I did that literature review, when I said about, you know, how we looked at the quality of the papers, mm. a lot of the papers were low quality. There was only okay. one paper that we rated as high quality. And that's and, not a disrespect to any no. of the papers. It's, <laughs> but by, by low quality, yes, yeah, so what do you mean by low quality? So by low quality, um, it looks at things like, well, did they answer the question that they were wanting to do? Did they mm -hmm. use clear methods? Was the paper readable? Could we understand what was happening? Mm -hmm. Had they included enough information? And it, I think a lot of um, of the international papers, they tried to do a little bit what I did, what, what I wanted to do. And I think they went very, very broad and they didn't and they went too broad and we didn't mm -hmm. get enough information from the paper so there is some benefit as well of when it's appropriate going quite specific in what mm -hmm. we're looking at so i think that's another reason why i thought okay well let's just look at school staff first mm -hmm. let's think about what they're saying and so how did you then go about you know gathering the views of school staff then yeah so i had um it was 10 settings in total that um replied and offered the support and I'm very grateful if any of them are listening thank you very much for <laughs> your support with the project because um what I was able to do was to get 10 different um professionals from 10 different schools um I had broadened it to across the UK but just by chance all the settings were within England okay. but they were quite varied some in the north some in the south um and what I really quite liked about the participants that I worked with was that we were quite broad in the roles as well. So I had a couple of participants who were head teachers or head of schools. Mm -hmm. I had uh, teachers, I had teaching assistants um, and I had um, SENCOs, so special educational mm -hmm. needs coordinators. So that, you know, the member of staff that's responsible for supporting children with SEN in school. Mm -hmm. um, and that was something which I thought was quite helpful because, again, a head teacher may have a very different perspective of how the device is used compared to a teacher or a teaching assistant mm -hmm. who is on the ground every day using the device within the Absolutely. classroom. So I thought it, it was quite a nice range. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so how did you go about, you know, in terms of what methods you used to, to capture those views? So we used interviews um, for the project. So um, I met remotely with them online because obviously they were across the country and my very little car would probably break down if I had to commute that far. So <laughs> it, so we held the interviews remotely. The reason we wanted to do them um, on a one-to-one -one basis, so I didn't do a focus group with all mm -hmm. of them. Um, one, for logistical reasons, trying to get teachers to manage diaries. It's very, very hard in, the, mm -hmm. in a busy term, but... You know, if we're thinking about why we're using these devices, they're very, very individualized and the experiences of one member of staff may be different to another. Mm -hmm. um, so what I thought it was good is that I could get that in-depth information on a one-to-one -one basis with each member of staff. Um, what I thought was really quite interesting, so I didn't collect um, statistical information around so many um, young people um, you know, per setting, because obviously the project needs to be anonymous and I wanted to give the participants that safe space. But mm -hmm. what I thought was really quite interesting was the international research that I'd done in paper one. It was mostly used for physical health reasons. Okay. The number one reason for the UK and the 10 staff that I used was for emotional health. Oh, interesting. So I think culturally there's mm -hmm. been a very big shift in how mm -hmm. the devices are used. Schools were using them for physical health needs, but the, um, when we looked at actually individual numbers, more um, young people were using them for emotional health reasons, so anxiety, uh, mental health, things mm -hmm. like that. Really interesting. Um, and in terms of when you kind of gathered those views then, did you then kind of, um, you know, try to see kind of themes from, from what people have been saying within the interviews? Yeah, so the way we the way we completed the research, so we completed something called a thematic analysis. Mm -hmm. So um, we recorded the interviews, and I transcribed um, 
the interview well actually I had a transcriber for me so thank you to the person who transcribed them because <laughs> um, it's a very long job but basically um, we recorded word for word what they said through um, that was another reason why I wanted to do it remotely because mm -hmm. I could re record the the, um, the videos whilst we transcribed them mm -hmm. and then deleted them afterwards but basically what we did is um, so I had all of the transcripts and I went through them and highlighted anything of interest and basically what the thematic there's lots of different approaches but what thematic analysis does is that you go from a very broad approach to very specific where you look at the in, so we call them codes so mm -hmm. anything of interest that someone says I'd highlight that and we'd call it a code and then basically mm -hmm over time through the process that I used, um, these codes were then grouped together and then I generated themes from that. So I grouped them together and thought about, okay, well, what are these codes trying to, what, trying to tell? And what thematic analysis does, it talks about um, creating a story what story am I going to tell people who are reading the paper or who are listening to the to the podcast? And that's what I wanted to do was to tell the story from what all of these participants were saying. Um, and I know I keep saying we because I completed a lot of the research independently, but I had two supervisors as part mm -hmm. of the project um, who were on the papers named and they supported me through that process mm -hmm. and helped th through that thematic analysis process as well. And it's a good way to get ideas from other people as well, because... Definitely. If I read what somebody says, it could be very different to how somebody else interprets it. Mm. And, I, and I love that, that, you know, the thematic analysis tells a story. So um, I like that way of kind of describing it. So tell us the story then. So what, what did your, you know, what did you find from your research? What was the story? So I, I grouped it into, um, you know, several different themes. Um, so the first one was around potential and what, what I found in this paper was that the devices have huge potential. Mm. Um, the potential for attendance to increase that attendance, the potential for attainment to support a, a child's academic development, because obviously by engaging through the robot, they were getting access to their education, just like the other children in their class. Mm. What I think is quite interesting was that the devices were used. So I broke it down into two areas. Um, so the devices were used as an alternative form of provision. So if you've got a young person, more most typically with physical health needs, they might use that device for a very long period of time because mm -hmm. that's the only way they can access their education. But then other people use the device as an intervention. Mm -hmm. uh, the AV1 was used as a way to reintegrate that child back into the classroom. So if you think about young people who have anxiety around attendance, you know, if you look at the government guidance, if you look at CAMS, the approaches they use is something called graded exposure mm -hmm. therapy, which, you know, if there is an anxious feeling around the classroom, you break that feeling down into steps where they build up their tolerance to be able to reintegrate back into the classroom. Mm -hmm. Some people were using the AV1 as a way to do that. Mm -hmm. The eventual, eventual plan would be was that you'd remove the device and they'd eventually go back into the classroom. So mm -hmm. I grouped it under those two areas just again to show that you can use the device in a very different way depending yeah. on what that child needs. Mm -hmm. And okay. what it was showing was was that that's why it said about attendance. They, so they were finding it was helping to reintegrate some young people. Inclusion came up again. I feel mm -hmm. like buzzword um, a lot of people talked about the school community which I thought was really really um, you know important to, to acknowledge there was one example which I did I have uh, reported in the paper of one school used the device to enable a child to watch the Christmas pantomime oh. you know and you, you think on paper it doesn't sound like much but for that young person that so much to them that they could feel included yeah, it was all those significant events that children really look forward to and families look forward to, you know, and so if it could be part of it in some way, yeah. Yeah, and um, what I like about the AV1 is is that it's part of the packet and full transparency, I, I, I'm I'm not on commission. I don't work for them. I'm I mean, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> but with the device, when, people, when schools or individuals purchase them, it comes insured. So if the device is damaged, it can be replaced. Okay. So what that insurance did was gave schools the confidence to let kids take the device out onto the playground mm. because the device has Wi-Fi or 4G. Right. So it was like, you need an internet connection to use it. But um, some schools talked about giving the, um, giving 
some of the peers, the robot to take outside so they could play together on the playground. Just again, another way to promote that social inclusion. Mm. And I'm, I'm sure some people might be listening going, oh, I wouldn't want a very expensive robot running around the running around the playground playing hopscotch but for some schools that worked really well because for mm. that young person it was very important they got that social as you know yeah. aspect that's really interesting <laughs> um so so the, that's the potential i mean it sounds like there's lots of potential there um were there any other kind of key themes coming through then yeah so one of the themes i talked about was the 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 large phrase that's a bit more complicated so I called it this wider socioeconomic factors but okay. for for if anyone's listening who's like me and wants it in a simplistic way <laughs> it was, I just looked at all the factors that might impact on how people use the device and that could be culture that could be political anything mm-hmm. else that's not just specific to that device and what came up was the cost and funding mm-hmm. again that some um, some professionals who use the device said it was cheaper than other forms of alternative provision. Okay. You know, because for some young people, if they've got significant mental health needs, they may go to an alternative provision, an alternative education setting. They mm-hmm. might get home tutoring. And some um, professionals said that whilst there is a, a higher initial upfront cost for the device, I mean, you can rent or purchase them in the long term. They said it was cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um. Others did talk about the funding because mm. some schools had purchased them outright, um, but a lot of schools relied on funding and grants, whether that was from the local authority um, or charities like the National Lottery to be able to afford the devices. And again, that's what some people were saying, that the dependency on whether or not they could carry on with the device mm. depended on whether or not they had the funding to do it. Mm. Yeah. And I just think that's really important to acknowledge, really, because, mm-hmm. you know, this is me I'm going to go on my soapbox here but you know if we think about whether or not we should be using an intervention the the decision should be for me personally around whether or not it's supporting that child Mm -hmm. and I think you know if the if the only reason we're debating not using it is because of the cost I think that's something we need to acknowledge and think about do Mm -hmm. we need to look at how we support schools how you know local authority grants how the local authorities support schools with that funding to be able Mm -hmm. to make that an accessible form of support for young people Mm -hmm. and I guess within the context of you know I know there's a a real um focus on attendance you know I think nationally um so I guess you know people will be looking at how you know how best to meet the needs of young people that need support around their attendance so um if there's promising research coming out around the use of, of this technology, then that that might be where um, some of this funding could be used potentially. Yeah, I think you know if if we're thinking about you know as psychologists, we think about lots of different theories, lots of different approaches. What's working for that child? You know, if we're if we're if we're if we're going to be truly child-centered, I think we need to look at all options mm-hmm. and. You know, mm-hmm. this device might not might not be acceptable for some young people, and that's okay because mm. other interventions might be better place. But if we're going to really think about how do we, how are we going to be child-centered, I think we should look at all op- options, including these types of devices. And, mm. you know, as I said, it's, it's not going to be perfect. Like any intervention, nothing's perfect because mm. things change. And, you know, participants did raise some of those other areas around, you know, Wi-Fi difficulties, mm. IT issues, mm. but again, what seemed to come up a lot was that the longer participants had used the devices, the um, the more accepting and the more easier they found that they found it to be useful. Oh, that's interesting. And well, yeah, I guess found the way with it a bit more in terms of ironing out some of the, those technical difficulties, perhaps. Well, yeah, it, you know, it, it's time. I think, you know, in terms of culturally, you know, we we want quick wins, and mm. I think, you know, I, I have a lot of, um, you know understanding for school colleagues because there's a lot of pressures placed Mm. on them and I think you know if we look at the research things take time to embed properly Mm. and sometimes that's a cultural thing in schools that we need to try and support around saying okay give it time before we make the decision around whether or not it's effective Um, because again what's interesting I asked every single participant so each of those 10 members of staff I said would you recommend the AV1 and everyone said yes Oh, right. Wow. They all said they would recommend the device. And it's, I know it's a very small sample. Mm. You know, this is 
this is the start of the UK research. But I think as a starting point, that's very promising. Mm. You know, and they were it was randomly selected, these participants, and every one of them had pros, had cons, but they all agreed they would recommend it to other professionals. Interesting. Um, I'm, I'm, I was going to move on to it, just another thing to ask you about. But before I do, I just want to make sure that we've covered all the, um, the themes that you identified. Was there, were there any other themes you wanted to share there, Matthew? Just again, it was linking to teething issues, and these are highlighted more in the paper. Um, mm-hmm. If people, uh, the paper is open access as well, so you don't have to um, pay to be able to read it, which I'm really quite grateful for. Um, but again, it's very individual issues. So some people talked about workload around. There, there was initial increase in workload difficulties because obviously you've got to think about how does that child access the same work. Mm-hmm. Some staff talked about. You know, the work was getting sent home. Families were picking up to um, going to school to pick up the work. So, again, there's very specific um, school based um, factors that we need to consider. So in my paper, I have developed a, a framework, which is basically for me, it was a how to guide in terms of, you know, you get a robot in your school. What do we need to think about so that I've, I've created a and I'm not a graphic designer, so apologies for how it looks. But what I'm hoping it's going to be used for is that if a member of staff wants to get a device, they can look at the piece of paper and there's prompt questions to think about. So, you know, how are you going to cost the device? How are you going to develop the work? How are you going to support the teacher? Just all of those things that came from participants that I really wanted to capture. Brilliant. And that I mean, that really leads really nicely to what I was actually going to move on to, which is you know, one of my, one of the hopes and aims of this podcast is to make, you know, research really accessible to yeah. everyone, uh, whoever might want to choose to listen. So um, I was thinking, you know, well, thinking about the people who might be listening to this podcast, um, I'd like us to just have a bit of a think about what they might be able to take away from your research. So um, I'm going to kind of work through, you know, all different. So starting with parents and carers, what do you think um, they could take from your research? I think for me, it's communicate with with your school, with your child. Think about will this type of device fit the needs of that young of, you know, of your child that you're working Mm -hmm. with? And don't be afraid to have that conversation. You know, I'm very aware that, you know, 50 local authorities is a lot, but in terms of, you know, a, a family who might not be in a local authority, it might not be available, but it could be something they could have that discussion about. Mm-hmm. And equally, if they're in a local authority where they do have these devices, you know, go on. So no isolation. If you go onto their website and it's um, they've got how to guides, they've got information videos, they've got case studies where they interview kids who've used them and families. And I think just familiarize yourself with what other people are saying before, mm. you know, I think it's I think. And I think it's very easily done, but I think people can make snap decisions mm. when you look at something and go, oh, no, that's too scary or mm. that won't work. And I think, yeah. yeah, just look, look, look at the videos and mm. think, is this suitable for, for my, you know, for my child and have that dialogue with school? Because mm. I, I would I would bet anything that any questions that you're having the school will have had the exact same ones in their mind and Mm. I think the only way that we can look at it effectively is to link together and actually have that dialogue together yeah right um and then that leads to the next question so you know again school staff if there's you know people are working in schools thinking oh this sounds great or this sounds interesting um or this sounds scary you know any of those Um, what what might they be able to take away from your research? So I'll I'll, I'll link it to the first one. Talk to families. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's the main one. Um, I think for me the biggest is around plan carefully. I think, and I did this when I saw it. I thought, oh, it's so cute. It's fantastic. It's exciting. And I think people can very easily jump in before they thought about it and as I said a lot of the information from my research was showing that staff had concerns concerns about privacy concerns about what was going to happen and Mm -hmm. all of those concerns are valid and I think what we need to do as schools is think about how do you how do you have that dialogue with staff you know Mm -hmm. if you're a Senko who wants to purchase it how is that staff who's going to be using the robot going to feel each day so Mm -hmm. some um some people talked about having open evenings or with parents and no isolation themselves can come along and actually discuss the use of device because when you buy the device you have a designated key worker Mm 
from the company who's your point of contact mm -hmm. and in my local authority we had a key worker because we're looking at trialing the devices and they came and alleviated those concerns and answered mm -hmm. the questions so i think just think about how you know how do we plan it carefully how do you support your staff and how do we address those quite valuable concerns but also use the company themselves to support mm -hmm. that you know, and it sounds, I mean, what you were saying about your checklist as well, that sounds incredibly helpful in terms of supporting schools that might be considering using something like this to, you know, to, to help plan it and, and think it through, like you say, in quite a structured way. Yeah, and hopefully, and as I said, it's only the first draft based off what um, I've completed so far. It's not set in stone and mm. I, I have put that welcome any feedback from it as well, because you know, I said before, we need to keep developing, we need to keep mm -hmm. changing it. And I think if staff look at that, if it's helpful, great. And if there's any tweaks, you know, we can we can develop that in time because I think this is the starting point in the research. And I think there's so much more that we can do, which is really quite exciting. Yeah, definitely. It's really exciting. Um, and then thinking about, you know, um, other education psychologists or other uh, child psychologists, um, what might they take away from this research, do you think? Okay, so for educational psychologists, I think for me it is around looking at that implementation, around how can we support schools and families with implementing the devices effectively. So in my paper, I linked it to quite a, um, so there's a research paper by um, Derlach and Dupre, which looked at 23 different factors that influence, you know, how effective something is implemented into a setting is, you know, so training staff confidence and what I think as EPs we can do is we can use that theory and have that consultation discussion with schools, support them, you know, with actually how they can use the device, how can they consider it? Because, you know, as EPs, we can we can work across different levels. We can work across at the local authority level and think about, well, what's the local authority approach going to be to using the devices? They could work at a school level and think about how are you going to roll out in your school? How can you support your staff? alleviate parental concerns and they could even work at the individual level so mm. when I talked about using it for that for those pupils who are anxious who are using it as a phased return to schools you know educational psychologists can support staff in developing that plan mm. of breaking down the steps of having that phased return for those for that young person so I think it's just using the theory going back to the research and thinking about that consultation that problem solving that we can do with professionals fantastic um, and last but definitely not least, and in some ways brings us full circle, because I know when you were starting your research, you were very interested in young people's views. Um, and so I guess, you know, if, if there are young people listening to this or hear about this, what, what might they be able to take away from your research, do you think? Yeah, I think for me is to make sure that your voice is heard. You know, if you're using the device already, you know, feedback to the people that's around you talk to your family talk to the school if if something isn't working you know get them to support you in developing that because that device is only there to support young people mm -hmm. that's the whole reason it's been designed so if it isn't working talk to the people around you who may be able to help you with that um, and make it work for you as well because i think as i said before i think some people can straight away assume it's just for lessons but if it's important for a young person that they see their friends have that conversation about could that device be used? But equally as well, as we said about that red carpet syndrome, you know, if it's something that you don't feel comfortable mm. you using, be, you know, it's OK to say that. I think mm. have, you know, have confidence in the fact that everyone who wants to use this device is wanting to use it to support the young person. So I think if it doesn't work for you, be honest about that, because everyone's there for the same reason as to help that young person. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and then just one, one final question really, which I think is, is quite pertinent because like you say, this is such a, a new area of research really, especially like say within the UK. Um, and you know, you, you kind of um, said um, that you felt like this was kind of the, the first steps really within this area of research. So what yeah. do you think are the next steps? Um, you know, what would you like to see kind of follow on from this research in terms of other research potentially from a for I'll, I'll do two I think from a <laughs> selfish reason I would really love for people to have a look at my paper at the implementation model that's mm -hmm. been developed and the and the checklist of questions and have a go at using it and obviously see if that supports the effectiveness of 
schools using the devices and if and is there anything we can develop but i think from a broader perspective i think what we need to do is also think about how do we capture those in-depth views so how do we capture young uh, young people's perspectives of the devices how do we capture families and i think eventually what we are going to have to look at is you know actually getting some more quantitative data so that data that num- you know the numbers around does this help with attendance does this help on how people are feeling emotionally because at the moment all of the research including my own is very much qualitative which mm-hmm. is you know where I, we interview people and we listen to what they're saying and we record it, as I said, writing a story. And I think when you look at the research, it says we can only truly look at whether something is effective if we do both qualitative and quantitative research mm-hmm. where we look at that data as well. So I think in time, I think we need to perhaps think about how we can capture some of that data. Yeah. So there's a lot there's a lot to do, <laughs> um, but I think... You know, it's quite exciting because it's yeah. promising, and I think there's a lot of potential here. Absolutely, um, and I think, like you say, the, one of your key themes was potential, wasn't it? It was, it was about where yeah. this could go. So um, I think it sounds, yeah, it's, it sounds really exciting, um, and I think that you know, I know we could talk. I think we could talk all night. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we could. <laughs> but like I say, we'll, we'll be including the, um, the full references to your papers. So if people would like to. Um, you know, look at some more detail around this, then they can, can um, refer to the papers. Um, and so really all, all that's left me to say, just thank you again for joining me for some thinking time, um, Dr. Matthew Fletcher. It's been great finding out about your research. Um, it's definitely been um, inspiring to me. And I, and I think people listening um, to this, um, it'll inspire them as well to just think differently about how we can support inclusion for pupils. It, it really has made me really think about... Um, alternative ways that we can promote inclusion which you know inclusion kept coming up um, again throughout our conversation um, and yeah thinking about you know how we can promote inclusion where there are those barriers to then accessing education settings that we don't just need to settle with oh they're not able to access this therefore they can't you know it, it, there's, yeah. there's, there's alternative ways of thinking about it um, so yeah really exciting and, and just thank you again for joining me today thank you for having me I found this discussion with Dr Matthew Fletcher and learning about the use of telepresence technology in schools fascinating. I hope you learned something new from the discussion too. As with any individual research study, there are limitations that need to be considered and there should be caution when generalising it to other contexts. As Matthew discussed, this is a new area of research in the UK and as he described, his research is just the start with further exploration of the use of AV1 robots in school needed. These discussions enable me to have my own thinking time, and these are some of the reflections that talking to Matthew has made me think about. It's brought to mind the idea that young people are digital natives, and so technology plays a significant part in their lives. Therefore, thinking about how technology can be used in innovative ways to promote alternative forms of inclusion could really be a step forward in increasing accessibility for young people that have historically not been able to access school. I was also really interested in the ways that avatars can be used in different ways and that this has developed over time, from being used with children with medical needs to those that might have emotional barriers to access in school too. I was intrigued to hear that the avatars can be used away from the classroom and not just for formal learning, but to enable social inclusion, such as the example of attending a Christmas pantomime. It was great to hear about Matthew's experience of conducting research, including some of the issues he faced. For example, that he had initially had difficulties with recruiting young people. This provides a good illustration of the challenges of real-world research, which I think is really helpful to hear for anyone thinking about or currently undertaking research. Illustrates there are often ups and downs along the way during the research process. As Matthew outlined, there have also been some reported challenges with the use of AV-run robots in schools, but as this is a new area of development, that is to be expected, and I think the checklist that Matthew referred to be really useful for people that are interested in using this technology. I'm looking forward to seeing further research in this area to add to our understanding, and also seeing how the potential that has been discussed is realised in future. If you have any comments about this episode, or ideas about what research topics you would like discussing, or you would like to come on the podcast yourself, please do get in touch on social media. Thank you for listening. I look forward to you joining me again soon for some thinking time.